You're listening to a Metro podcast. What is up, and welcome to Scrub League. I am your host, Colin McNeil. To my right is Kevin Hamilton, and to my left, back after two weeks of absence in the Caribbean, or Caribbean, or whatever that place is, is Samantha Eamon. Sam, uh, we just want to say, before we get into the show, uh, huge congratulations on your engagement. We're allowed to say that on the podcast, right? Yes, absolutely. Thank you guys so much. Hashtag grats. Mm-hmm. Um, guys, now that Sam is back in the podcast studio, it's time to have some good old-fashioned scrubly debates because there's not much Sam and I like more than yelling at each other about esports things. Um, to that end, we've got an eclectically packed show for you today. We're going to be talking about the future of esports streaming on YouTube, China's World Electronic Games, some really fascinating statistics uh, released about Street Fighter V's player base, and awesome games done quick and a ton more uh, time permitting of course so stick with us uh scrub league will be right back welcome back to scrub league guys so there was a thing in China called the World Electronics Sports Games. Mm-hmm. Kevin, you seemed particularly excited about this. I got to be honest, it wasn't really on my radar. Oh, yeah, no, it, it, that's the kind of crazy thing about it is despite how huge it was in a lot of different ways, uh, it got like zero play outside of China. Um, so basically, this is their attempt at something kind of like the Olympics. And we've talked a lot about yeah. how, you know, that's sometimes kind of a problematic concept, but this was their shot at it. So. It was held this past week in uh, a 38,000-seat arena, which was previously built for the for the uh, 2008 Summer Olympics. Whoa. Um, so they picked four games that were going to be there at the uh, World Electronic Sports Games. The WESGs, unfortunately, doesn't have a cool roll-off-the-tongue term like WESA. WESGs. WESG, yeah. WESG. Uh, so the, the four games were uh, Dota 2. Sorry, Sam. Fair enough. Uh, Hearthstone. Wow. S- yep. Okay. S- CSGO. Yes. Mm-hmm. And StarCraft 2. Nice! It's actually not a bad lineup in terms nice. of popularity. No, That's, it's no Those thing. are pretty two And they're all so hitters. different, right? Exactly. Every single one. Yeah. yeah, so it's, you know, League wasn't there. You know, Dota 2 was the MOBA of choice, which is, you know, fa- fair enough. Uh, Hearthstone, again, we've talked about in the cast how it's a bit of an odd choice, but it's super popular. I don't blame them at all for having it. Um, so it was run and sponsored by Alibaba, which I don't know if you guys yeah. are familiar with. Um, basically, the Chinese Amazon, they have... They own Amazon now, right? They have, or, more, they have more money than God, basically. Okay, all right. uh, and they pumped <laughs> uh, a healthy amount of it into this tournament. Um, so after months of qualifying for these teams to get to uh, the four groups of six teams each, uh, they were going up for $5.5 million in prizes. Now, and is that across the four games? That's across the four games. And when you say this is Olympic-like, does this mean... Countries are compete like teams are aligned by their country of origin. Yeah, so this was kind of part of the controversy, right? Is oh. that the way that they set it up is they didn't allow teams to come regardless of origin, and they didn't require the formation of whole new teams. They just said that any team that enters has to be completely comprised of uh, or composed of players from a certain country. Oh, right, which 
this was a big advantage for some of those teams that already met the criteria. Um, so you had Team Envious from the United States. Uh, they took the, the Counter-Strike uh, tournament handedly. Um, and the Philippines, their team, uh, TNC, they won Dota 2, um, beating out Cloud9 and, and a lot of other teams. Ooh. Okay, so what you're saying is like there are major private teams that already exist that happen to fit this criteria. Yeah. And they're just like, cool, I guess we're Team USA now. Yeah, and they could basically just sort of walk right in while other teams uh, were in this position where it's like, okay, we have to come with like, we have to cut half our roster right. or just not show up at all, play with a bunch of people we've never played with before. Uh, and that's a really big issue for the coordination in terms of when you're playing Counter-Strike or, or Dota. You know. Yeah. What if, what if there were two teams, say, from that could hypothetically represent the U.S.? What would, 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 how would they decide who qualifies? I don't know. I'm, unfortunately, I wasn't on the, uh, the board of directors for this particular tournament. You weren't a judge? Come on. No. Uh, yeah, so the, a lot of people were saying, you know, a lot of the top teams didn't get to go in. The teams that won didn't, like, deserve it. So there's kind of a controversy. The, the teams that did, you know, uh, win with these various tournaments, uh, they made bank. They made bank like you wouldn't believe. Really? So, envy, so everyone who won one of the tournaments, yeah. um, the team tournaments, I should say, yeah. uh, won $800,000, which... Every one, like as in like every person or every team? No, no, every every team. Right. Okay. okay. So so Team Envious won eight hundred K, which is about half of their entire lifetime winnings. Oh my god. Yeah. Everything wow. that they've ever made as long as they've been a team, um their their Counter Strike team I should specify, they made just about half of that. So in, in this way, it's totally not like the Olympics, which is built only for amateur athletes. This mm-hmm. this is huge prize pots. That's interesting. Yeah, and I think it's if they keep throwing events like this, you're just going to see more American or North American teams want to go over to places like China where the money is. They're going to go where the money is. And I, I just think the, the citizenship thing is weird because um, in other sporting events, it's often where you currently reside. And mm-hmm. for a lot of these players, they currently reside. They either get working visas or PR cards to be in the States to play on these teams. So is it where you're residing or where you were born, where you have another citizenship? Like, that can get a little murky to me. Yeah, it's also, uh, when I was watching the the opening ceremony, which was uh, hype, by the way. Love that there was an opening ceremony. Yeah, no, it was kind of ridiculous. It looked like something out of Tron, basically. Oh. Like, it was all, like, uh, you know, lights and sort of the dancers with, you know, glow-in-the-dark, like, glasses and gloves on. Right. You know, doing various... Uh, doing various dance moves and coordination. Uh, they they flew in a bunch of drummers on wires from the ceiling. Whoa. Wow. Um, there was this uh, guy, this Chinese guy in, like, wicked dreadlocks, like, wailing on a guitar. Uh, after it was over, they sort of paraded the various uh, teams up, and they said, you know, Team USA, and then, then there was a woman holding, like, a, a flag with, or, like, a, a pennant with the, the team name on it, and cool. they, like, walked onto the stage. They did the whole. They did the whole thing. So, did they compete like under team insert private name here, or were they referred to throughout the broadcast as as Team USA or Team Slovenia or whatever? They were definitely introduced as Team USA or or Team. It was the, the funny thing is that like of course because it's China, right? It was like yeah. Team Chinese Taipei and Team Chinese Hong Kong, as opposed to you know Hong Kong. Oh, that's Taiwan. dirty. Yeah. Oh yeah. no. Yeah, I wonder if if in future like teams will prepare for this kind of event and have like their you know their Olympic team as their B team or whatever a team that they also pra- practice with along with their pro team. 
Well, is is there any uh, inkling that this will be like uh, yearly or every four years? Yeah, or? they've actually they've signed a contract to um, keep it in China for the next ten years. And so, does it happen every year? Like yeah. that's their plan. I yeah, mean. this is the inaugural year, but right, um, exactly. Yeah. And um, I kind of like, some people would say like a, an opening ceremony like that would be overkill, but I kind of like the spectacle of it because oh sure at the end of the day, like people who are there spectating are looking at a screen most of the time. Like you can't see the players, you can't really see anything else. So to have that visual interest there to kind of draw people in, I, I think is great. I think like same with the Olympics opening ceremonies. Like one of the major things I want to watch is the opening ceremony because it's just beautiful. So yeah, I, I kind of like this. It's, it's overkill, but in a good way. And another thing is that, like, you know how much dead time there is sometimes on streams, right? They had, uh, like, dancers basically doing, like, cheerleading routines in between the various matches to keep people entertained. That's great. And another thing that the opening ceremony or closing ceremony could help do is bring outside media attention as well, um, which it normally wouldn't get if it was just, you know, the gaming content. For it sure. kind of reminds me, like, as you alluded to, we've talked so much about... The Olympic model for esports. Uh, we've had whole shows almost dedicated to it, and kind of reminds me of a thing called the World Cyber Games, which is a defunct, again, Olympic-style event. There's been a lot of these sort of things happening. There have, there have. This one is old, though, like real, like uh, like over a decade old. And uh, back then, you know, esports hadn't taken off the way it has now, so it's mostly just like Korea, Japan, and and sometimes China and a little bit of Europe. Mm. But uh, that's actually where I first started watching competitive StarCraft was at the World Cyber Games. I remember it. It was on YouTube. Blew my mind. Uh, Artosis and Tasteless were commentating. It was awesome. Right. Uh, this The problem with this one is uh, your dreams might have been shattered of reviving those memories because oh. apparently there were a lot of issues with the streaming and the streams constantly kind of went down oh. and they were really unstable. Some people were suggesting it was kind of like the Chinese firewall at work. Wow. Uh, yeah, I can't really substantiate that, but... Russian uh, hackers. Yeah, so apparently it was <laughs> just like not not super stable. You couldn't watch all the games that you wanted to. Uh, and there were also some current concerns about the casting not being great. It oh, kinda, that actually sucks. It okay. kind of sounds like this was thrown together pretty quick, but with like a lot of money behind it. You know, yeah. and, they, and they managed, I think, to pull off something pretty cool. And uh, all the terms, that, all the teams that were able to get out there, you know, 100%, 100% worth the trip. Oh, yeah. I like this model. So I'm kind of hoping that they, you know, they got their hardest first year out of the way. They kind of... You, you kind of want to hope they learn from their mistakes and maybe next year they can kind of work out those kinks that they, they didn't necessarily may have, maybe have time to this year. Yeah. I mean, it is their inaugural thing, and they and the, what they did was beautiful, if disorganized, like you said, but maybe they'll be able to refine it for the next year if they're given the chance to do it again and have that investment again. Speaking I'm optimistic. of streaming, guys... Um, YouTube Gaming has acquired the English broadcast rights to ESL. Um, Sam, many casts ago, you were uh, advocating uh, YouTube as a streaming platform for gaming, and I had absolutely no experience with it, and I can't even like imagine not watching it on Twitch. But this is a huge move. Yeah, and I like okay, I you know props to Twitch for everything that they've done. I actually really like this move. I find YouTube's interface way more attractive, way more user-friendly. Um, I find when I use Twitch, I have streams, you know, like going down a bit more, a bit more technical problems. Um, and I kind of like this move. YouTube gaming is clean, it's colorful, um, and I just find the quality a lot better. And I think ESL is just trying to 
go in a different direction and do something different and take it away from Twitch a little a little bit so that Twitch kind of doesn't have a monopoly on gaming streams, which I feel like they do right now. For most pro events, it's Twitch. That's where you go. Or if you're not on TV. But yeah, they do it. I mean, they, I mean, they, they have the assumed monopoly, I think, simply because they got out in front and they do it and they do it well at a time when nobody was doing it well. Yeah, and I think YouTube has seen that and is stepping up now. Um, Do you actually watch streams, esports streams on YouTube? A lot of what I watch on YouTube currently, because there aren't that many streams on YouTube right now. It is all on Twitch. Okay. Th- like, there, are, there aren't that many on YouTube right now. I have watched things like Civ tournaments on uh, YouTube. I have watched a lot of replays on YouTube. A lot of great channels do a lot of replay match mashups that I really like. If I don't watch the whole event, I'd love to watch their replay thing. No, that's true. I do watch a ton of replays on YouTube. Yeah, that's and true. I also watch a lot of commentators and streamers uh, play especially for t- uh, obviously for hots I'll play I'll watch a lot of uh, different streamers do different things with hots so yeah I do spend a fair amount of t- my time on YouTube the only time I go over to Twitch is if I'm going to watch an actual event yeah um, I, and the the weird thing about this is is they made clear that ESL like YouTube only has the rights to the English language broadcasts. Uh-huh. So all of the ones going on in Chinese, Japanese, and all these other different languages, that's all still going on Twitch. And I'm wondering why there's that difference there. Why only the English? Well, it's possible that just they looked at their numbers and their figures and they said, like, you know, our, our largest audience is, is in English and that's just what gets us the best deal and they were outbid elsewhere. Yeah, I mean, uh, we we fortunately don't have insights into into the specifics of that business deal, but um, yeah. you got to imagine it was it was made because it made sense on paper, right? Yeah. Maybe YouTube is just really big in North America, and Twitch is really really big in in other countries. Yeah, it's kind of like the Alibaba situation, right? It's like right. it's a company yeah, it's, a lot of people haven't heard about, exactly. even though it's enormous. Yeah, I thought it was a place that sold kebabs down the street. Yeah, well, it, it is. It actually well. is in Toronto. Yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, I'm glad to see some competition. I'm a huge fan of YouTube, so I, I, I really like this move. I hope it works out for them. You know where there's a lot of competition? Where? Street Fighter Five Online. I bet there is. These segues just rolling off one after another. Yeah, and I didn't even plan them, I swear. Um, so there is a... Um, an organization called V-League uh, that has released a bunch of stats and numbers regarding Street Fighter V's online competitive play. I'm a little offended because usually stats and numbers is kind of my jam and you're taking the lead on this one. You're right. You're right. Um, and I, I hope I can live up to the high standard that you have created for us. I will um, be fact-checking you. <laughs> so... V-League did uh, release a bunch of data, and they've been so kind as to put it in chart format so people like me can actually read it and understand it, although i got to confess there's a few that I still had trouble with. Um, Just before I get into these, to give you a really quick primer on how online ranking works in Street Fighter V, you uh, start at nothing. You start at, quote, quote, rookie league, and your little badge sort of shows that you are you are nothing. Like, you have no color. It's, wow. not, a, it's not a metal. You the know what I mean? The stain is real. No, it's, I mean, it's just, that's what it is. And uh, you really feel like nothing. You mm-hmm. feel really shitty. Yeah. And uh, when you get 500 points, you get to bronze. When you get 1,000 points, you get to super bronze, et cetera, et cetera, u- ultra bronze. Goes all the way to, yes, you guessed it, ultra platinum and diamond, right? Yeah, all I- of, they, they all use these metal i guess i can appreciate that just because you know bronze is like that's a precious metal you know it counts it's it's something it is and i just i did want to bring that up just for people who don't play street fighter they may assume that bronze is bottom it's actually not like you have to work to get to bronze 
Anyways, um, V-League dropped this statistic, uh, which was the big one, that 37% of the user base are currently in Rookie League. So that's 37% um, are below bronze, have less than 500 points. Now, does this include people that don't jump into rank play at all, or is this people who jump into rank play and they're terrible? This is only ranked play. Okay. Um, so you cannot move up in league if you play casual online. All right. Um, you can only do it if you choose to play ranked. So what they've said is they've released this really nice graph where it's like all the player base based on what uh, league they rank in. Now, as you can imagine, very few people are in ultra platinum. Very few ple- uh, people are in ultra gold. Most people are at the other end of the spectrum. But they also made a note of saying um, that matchmaking has been thought to be way too hard for beginners in the game. And there are a ton of players who went into ranked, got bodied, and never played again, and now occupy that massive slice of the, of the, um, the rookie league or the bronze league players. They just stopped playing. And if you remember, I think... I think it might have been the first, maybe it was the second time we had James Chen on the program. He said that Street Fighter V was a game that you could go into online and lose your first 100 matches. No question. Yeah, no, I, I have no trouble believing that whatsoever. No. Nor trouble believing that a lot of people, you know, walk in there, get completely rolled, and then say, okay, you know what? That's not for me. Because it takes a lot of, I guess, like willpower, determination, desire to do something that you play for, for fun and then have to like work at it and lose and lose and lose. You got to really want to be good. Yeah, and this is actually connected to something uh, that we talked about a lot on the the previous cast, episode thirty seven, I believe. Um, Sam, you were away, but I went on a big rant about how Street Fighter Five doesn't serve the casual player base very well. Mm-hmm. And in fact, these people at V League um, are quoted in PVP Live saying, "When you develop an online game that has esports tournaments, it's a problem. If seventy five percent of the of the players stop." playing online after 10 matches it's not building a community it doesn't bring fresh blood that's not good for business or the players so i kind of feel the same way on that point though and i'm I'm trying to think bigger here if you don't have a lot of fresh blood coming into the game and going up the ranks and we've seen how short the careers of these players are not so much in the fgc but yeah not so much in the fgc but it's still in the grand scheme of things they're not that long and you need fresh blood you need to keep bringing up these new stars these new these new people and if you have people who are trying to get into it but can't and it's because of your matchmaking system, then there's something you need to edit there. I mean, I am a bronze slash super bronze player. I, I really walk that line. <laughs> is super bronze lower than bronze or super bronze? No, it's it's bronze? one it's one rank higher. Okay. It goes bronze, super bronze, ultra bronze. Sure. Um in the street Mega bronze. In the Street Fighter nomenclature, uh ultra trumps super trumps nothing. Right. This, um, this sounds like credit cards, you know, like you have your ultra gold platinum level. Yeah, it's a I got a black black level. Um but I, you know, I'm a, I'm a super bronze player. And when I started, I was incredibly frustrated that I was getting bodied on every match. And what everyone on Reddit is going to say right now, I'll just stop the cast. Just pause it. They're just going to say, oh, you have to, you know, practice your Hadokens for 10 hours and get good, you know? Yeah, fine. But not every person who goes to EB Games or GameStop, if you're in the United States, picks up a, a you know a cool Street Fighter game they can play with their 12 year old brother wants to freaking do that. So there, like, there has to be a balance for the casual. There has to be something for the casual players to I, bring them back. I think that is the story mode, isn't it? Because yeah. it sucks. Well, I mean, I think that 
it kind of only makes sense that the majority of players are going to... Like, if you lose, you should be in Bronze League or in Rookie League. Like, if yeah. you cannot rise through the ranks, like, they shouldn't just, like, throw you a bone and be like, all right, kid, you played enough matches, you're in silver now. No no one is saying to, like, you know, cosmetically alter your, your league to make your to make your feelings less hurt. That's, you know, obviously that's not the point. So, like, what is the fix here? Like, what is the... Like, that, is, it, is it just a matchmaking issue to make sure people don't get stomped on over and over again? That's a good question. Uh, the matchmaking has been and needs to be further improved, I think, because it kind of sucks when you have 300 points and you match against someone who has 1,500. Well, at the same time... Oh, yeah, that's just bad algorithms. At, at the same time, though, like when Sam and I, when we're playing Heroes of the Storm, you know, and we, we jump into like a, a ranked match or like a, a quick match, sometimes it takes forever and yeah. if that's because they're trying to match us with someone of like equal skill with a proper yeah. composition yeah you know and exactly. you're, you're waiting for like six minutes for a match to fire you know there's a trade-off to be done there. It, 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 and but it's a tough line like i totally get that people want to get into jump into ranked matches really quickly i do too but that's why you go into practice mode training mode sorry you set your matchmaking to on and you do those Hadoukens 10 hours in a row. That's that's what that's for. Yeah, and I I want to make this relation to HOTS because I, I feel like this is really relevant to any ranking system on an eSport. And I know it's a team, a, a team game, so it's a little bit different. Mm-hmm. But the frustration of knowing you're better than your rank and having other things be the reason you're still in that rank. Now, in, in, I'm not sure if this is so much a thing in the FGC, but in MOBAs, there is this term of ELO hell, and a lot of people will say that it doesn't exist. I know Reddit will go crazy and tell me that it doesn't exist. Reddit, you're just not getting any respect today. We hate you. <laughs> I but I honestly you. think that it does, because it, I like right now I play in bronze. I, I don't play as much ranked anymore as I used to. I, I'm not practicing as much in ranked. Give but us some I, more excuses, Sam. But I'm saying that. <laughs> oh man, you just so Reddit didn't have to. Yeah, so Reddit doesn't have to sh- throw shade at me. Colin will. She's um, a girl, guys. <laughs> but no, I know I've been up to silver, and I feel like that's where I am. You know, I'm not a gold player. I'm not a platinum player. I'm I'm a silver player, and I I do feel like partially the matchmaking system and the way that the system works is keeping me in bronze by matching me with players that aren't necessarily at the same skill level as me or aren't you know I get stuck with a lot of trolls and I think Kevin can kind of relate to that I mean there are a fair amount of them on your own he team he is a troll on your own team perhaps yeah like the turn off to it is it's so frustrating when it's out of your control that I can't even imagine how frustrating that must be that sounds horrible although I have to say it's not really a problem in Street Fighter because as you guys know it's not a team sport you can't lose based on a teammate who's trolling you yeah the only person you can blame is yourself right it's 100% true and you know again I, I, I'll, I'll peel myself back a little bit here I don't want to whine and complain too much about the matchmaking if you lose a match you lost the match you should lose points for that mm-hmm. right um one thing I wonder about, though, is in Street Fighter, like how, or Street, Street Fighter Five, like yeah. the latest, latest iteration, how easy is it to tell what you did wrong, right? Because sometimes when you're playing a MOBA or whatever, like there's a lot of information you don't have access to. There's a lot of, you know, many, many factors at play. So sometimes you don't know why you lost. In Street Fighter, obviously everything's on screen, but it's, uh, you know, it's a fighting game. It's pretty fast paced, right? A huge part of getting good at fighting games is watching your own losses back and evaluating them and trying to learn what you did. Um, And usually, if you have a little bit of patience and you have a little bit of knowledge about the game, it can become pretty obvious. You can go, God, you know, 
I kept, uh, I, I tried to, you know, tech his throw all the time and he wasn't throwing or I never anti-aired him and he just, he knew he could come in or I threw those Sudokens and he super threw them, you know. So if, if you have a little bit of patience, you can actually dissect your own play. Um, this is one of my favorite things about fighting games is when you can play a best two out of three sets and, you know, you can get bodied in the first one, come back and barely win the second one and then body him in the third because over those games, you actually learn how to play this one guy. That is the, that is a really fun, rewarding experience. I know you kind of disagree with me here, Colin, but I actually think that not only should the win-loss column count, but your play within the game uh, should count. Like, you're, uh, I can only relate it to HOTS here, but if you're on a five-person team and you play like a silver or gold player, like your stats say that, yeah. then that should factor in into what your rank is. And now in Street Fighter, I'm sure there's there's different things. If a match is really close... Honestly? Like, like honestly, if you're playing as well as someone of a slightly higher rank, but you just you you happen to lose like you're both playing really well you're playing at the same level but you're not like well, obviously someone has to win and lose but i really think that those stats at, uh, during the game and the way that you play has to somehow factor into your rank okay i uh, i'm sure with a team based thing this makes sense and i and i get what you are trying to get at which is recognition for your strong play even if you have four scrubs flanking you i don't think that's possible or advisable to try and implement in a fighting game at the end of the day all that matters is you won or you lost and if you lost you lost and there shouldn't be any buttering up of it um you need to get good you need to get better um you know in street fighter there is no he plays bad he plays good it's like if you won you probably played well um you can if you go into a match and you are the lamest player ever and you block half the time and you don't know your combos and you kill the guy with 25,000 uh, low light kicks or something like that, kudos to you. Congrats. You won. It doesn't matter. All you have to do is win. The, the guy who's facing you could have the best execution in the world. I don't care. If he loses, he, he should lose, right? Yeah, but I think there's a measured difference between getting stomped and going head to head with someone and having it be a narrow victory. Well, hey, I had quite I had a couple of matches last night where either me or the other guy had a pixel, a pixel left and they lost, but you know what? That's it. You you lost. Yeah, you this, lost. This reminds me a lot of like the, you know, uh political party debate like in terms of de like democratic election electoral systems because like if you have oh like who won the popular vote and who who yeah uh, you know uh, got the first past the post yeah first past the post yeah. problem is so it's like if you know in every single riding you get like one percent fewer votes than your opponent you don't get any of at the seats the the problem though is i think even in like a team-based game like here's the storm or, or dota 2 is i don't know how you could possibly um, quantify this in a way that would be fair, right? Because even if your numbers show that you were doing really well, like teamwork matters a lot. If you have someone like a Gazlo just sitting in the bottom lane and the whole time he just, you know, plows forward, he gets a ton of experience, he does a ton of siege damage, he does his role really well, but he doesn't help out with any of the objectives, doesn't help out with team fights. Can you say he's a good player? He rockets right up to, you know, platinum, but he doesn't know how to play. I don't know how you could possibly find a way to, you know, quantify 
you know, helping other players out, doing like a sick play. Like, yeah. I, don't, I don't know. I think it's, it's kind of sounds like how Chris G told us he played uh, League of Legends. <laughs> yeah, as I, if there was no team. Yes, but I can kind of like, especially with heroes now, they're throwing stats back at you after the game constantly. How many times you died in relation to this, uh, in relation to other players playing that character in your rank? Like, there's a lot of stats, a lot of numbers That's that they're true. throwing back at you. That's very true. And I'm 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 almost wondering why throw those numbers back at us unless you're using them. It's true, but I think that like if you watch something like Overwatch's play of the game, like there's a lot of people showing videos and stuff. It's like. This is the play of the game, and it's just, like, ridiculous. They don't do anything. They get themselves killed instantly. But somehow the algorithm works out that this is, like, the best and coolest play. It's Computers, robots are not good at these things. Now, that is this, oh man, did that turn into a debate, which is I'm happy about. Mm-hmm. That was the sort of serious part of the stat I wanted to talk about. Um, there were some more fun ones, too. There were some ones that we won't bite each other's heads off for. Okay. So right before the break, mm-hmm. uh, I've got one here that I liked, which is the most popular character, as in um, number of people playing them. Mm-hmm. Uh, would you two non-Street Fighter players like to take a gander at number one and the very final one, maybe? I'm going to assume number one is, what is his name, Rashid? Rashid? Yes. Okay, that's a really weird guess. That's my pick. That's a so, Rashid of the Turbulent Wind. Remember the, the name. The favorite. Um, I'm going to have to go with Ryu because that's the name I know. Right, two R's, Ryu and Rashid. Who do you think is the least played? I know you kind of have to know mm, the roster on I think this Rashid one. is probably pretty close there. Okay, uh, Rashid on both. I yes. like it. I'm going to go with... Um, I'm putting money on red and on black. Uh, Chun-Li. I don't know. Wow. Chun- Tier 1 Chun-Li is, player. Chun-Li is really great right I'm now. I'm trying to think of the names of the players that I remember, okay? Okay, okay. I'm, I'm going to say at least played Blanca because I believe he's not in the game. He's not in the game. So he's, yeah, you're 100% right. Least Excellent. played is Blanca because he's unplayable. All right. Uh, the most played is Ryu. Yay, I win. Uh, it's <laughs> like... It's surprising for two seconds, but then you take your head out of the meta and you're like, yeah, it's Ryu. He's on the box. It's true, but he's he's like the Mario, right? Like nobody plays like Mario in Smash Brothers. He's just, he's so vanilla. He is. Now, Rashid is actually, he's at the bottom, but he's not at the bottom bottom. Okay. He's in the bottom sphere, the bottom quarter. Okay. You know who's number two most played? He, he's in the rookie league. No, he's in the, he's in super bronze right now. Okay. Urian? Number two most played, anyone? Urian? Uh, Nash? It's Akuma. Oh, yeah, of course. The new Akuma, okay. right? That makes sense. Number three is Urien, my boy. Oh, damn. I know. I, everyone's, That's huge. People have jumped on him now because he got buffed in season two. Um, next is Ken. I hate you. All you online Kens hate you all. Just just a message for all of you. And don't even get me started about the violent Kens. Oh, God, violent Ken. Cammy is number four. Cammy got buffed. She's really good. Bison. Bison is next. That surprised me. He's tough. Mm-hmm. I love Bison. I love to face a good Bison. It's, it's frightening. Uh, in the middle, Zangief is right in the middle, which is shocking. I thought he'd be like second last. Where's, Where's Chun-Li? Believe it or not, Chun-Li is right behind Rashid. One marker Whoa. behind. See, so she's not top tier so anymore. In, no, in season one. Open she sexism w- right there. In <laughs> season one, she was S tier. Everyone's list varied except for who was number one, and it was Chun-Li. It, that is really interesting. And also in season one, not a single major was won by a Chun-Li player. They were in grand finals. They never won a single major. Well, a lot of people, I imagine, had some practice against Chun-Li's. I suppose so. It's really interesting. I, did, I, did she get nerfed in season two? Um, I don't think so. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Interwebs. I'm fairly sure the changes to her were not dramatic. Okay. Um, like they were with, say, Armika. Um, Ugh, but that's really interesting. Uh, like, what's the what's the deal with that? Are inputs too difficult? What is the deal with that? 
What's the deal with Chun Li's playability? That was supposed to be Seinfeld. It was not bad. All right, uh, I think that's a good time to uh, break, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Uh, Scrub League is going to be right back. We're going to be talking about uh, health and fitness and esports, a topic we love, and awesome games done quick, raising a ton of money. That's coming up next. Stay with us. Welcome back to Scrub League, guys. Okay. We like to talk about the intersection of esports and health and fitness. And Kevin, there was a good interview with um, a physician who said, the quote I have here is, there's a sense of indestructibility in young esports athletes that needs correcting. Yes. So this was Dr. Caitlin Lurkaderp McGee. Uh, which is an, wait actually yes that is that is seriously the, that is the handle that they gave her yes what yeah so um, what? apparently she's pretty big in the the smash and the FGC community um, she's a physical therapist and she sort of attends these games and then she writes all these guides which I spent some last time last some time last night perusing okay um, need some help with some formatting uh, could use a copy editor if any one of us wants to jump in ah. there but I, the advice I'm sure is is completely sound. Um, and she has her own esports podcast um, discussing health issues. Oh, cool. Yeah, so that's one you might want to go check out. Damn, we need to have her on the show. Yeah, no kidding. Um, yeah, so she was talking a lot about how young people, um, young athletes of all kinds, you know, non-electronic sports and, and esports, um, they tend to ignore these sort of mild but persistent and worsening pain because they're, you know, they, yes, they feel like they're indestructible, and they, but they feel like, you know, they can take it. It's mild. It's only a little worse than it was yesterday, and they only go seek help or to correct it when it's they, they can't do anything about it. Typical. Yeah. Millennials. And that's the sort of thing that can end careers. And I wonder if it's partially this kind of, like, stigma of saying that esports athletes, well, you're not doing anything ultra-physical, so, you know, if it hurts a little bit, you know, just, like, get over it. It's not like you're running a foot race or playing basketball or playing football like you're sitting at a computer. And I wonder if that kind of mentality of the crowd outside of that sphere is kind of getting to them and going, okay, well, maybe I can just overcome this because, you know, people don't think this is a big deal. Ultra physical, of course, uh, being greater than super physical. Yes. Yeah, Yeah, I I had to take from your, you know, your grading system there. Yeah. Ultra physical diamond black. And, of course, the worst pain is last pain challengers. That's what the new Street Fighter 2 skin of the storm. storm. His segues are slowly dying. All right. Yeah, so, and the other thing is, is that she was saying is, you know what, like, games are fun. Games are fun, guys. So sometimes you don't want to stop playing. Sometimes you want to keep it going. Yeah, when your uh, spleen explodes and you start peeing blood, you know, you want to keep getting headshots. Yeah, no, entirely. Yeah, uh, yeah so she was talking about some of the, the common problems that people had in this interview. Um, apparently, the the number one for Smash, and I've seen Hungrybox do this a lot of, like, many times. I've seen other players do it all the time. I think we're all, you know, susceptible to it, is leaning forward and supporting your arms on your thighs. You know, like, you get your face right up into the screen. You, uh, you're holding your controller there. It uh, puts a lot of strain on your, your neck. And also, a lot of people tilt the controller down with their wrists, mm. which is apparently also very, very bad. Mm. Um and in the FGC, more generally, if you're playing with, like, a fight stick, yeah. um, the problem is more just sort of general slouching, you know, with your shoulders rounded, your sort of hunched posture. Yeah, man. Anytime you see someone on a fight stick, be they pro or rookie, after six hours of competitive matches, their posture to never looks good. Like, it never does. No, it's not great. 
Um, and I remember when we uh, we had our, our fine friends from uh, oh goodness what was the name of the uh, uh, pain and gain pain, yeah oh wait uh, game uh, without pain game without pain yes, sorry come in. God I, we're I idiots yes game without we pain game without pain game sans le pain <laughs> yes uh, <laughs> we as soon as they started talking about uh, about posture we all instantly sort of sat up in our chairs and we're like okay all right no you're you're right you're right and that's sort of uh, one big part of it is just being aware totally. Um, so, exactly, yeah. If, I, if I'm playing in a match and I realize after the match, like, why am I sore right now? Oh, it's because I'm hunched over and I have been for this entire match. So you kind of just, like, correct yourself. Oh, no, I know. I, I have a terrible setup um, back in my place because I don't have a proper desk. I just have a laptop stand that goes over my bed. Oh. So I'm often playing, like, basically horizontal, no <laughs> arm support with, like, my, my wrists in, like, a little T-Rex position moving around. <laughs> I am imagining, uh, remember that South Park episode where they all play World of Warcraft and they yeah, become yeah. giant, disgusting Cheeto-eating blobs? Yeah. I'm imagining that, except Kevin's very skinny, but... Yeah, yeah. I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, just for our viewers Just for our viewers to know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, a very svelte, handsome, you know, well-groomed... He's a live man. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so I thought, I read those guides and uh, the points that she was taking, she was giving on in the interview, and I thought I would give the, the top three fixes that you can give for um, PC gamers and for console gamers. Yes, console gamers. Do Shout it. out to the console gamers. Yeah, so I thought you might appreciate that. Um, so, Sam, you and I can take notes for, for PC, and Colin, yep. you know, you can take off these boxes for, for your console yeah. play. Uh, okay, so for, for PC, first of all, Sam, uh, number one thing is apparently to make sure that your armrests are level with your keyboard and mouse, and everything else about your setup, your whole battle station, uh, needs to revolve around that. And you must have armrests. If wow. you don't have armrests in your chair, you're doing it completely wrong. <laughs> I'm so already such a scrub because I have one of those small little office chairs and I do not have armrests, so I feel like I need to invest. Yes. Uh, it just it needs some some little arms on your chair. You need to be able to support your uh, your arms while you're playing so that your your back and your neck doesn't have to be doing all the work all the time. Absolutely. Sounds legit. Yeah, so I failed this one, of course, pretty bad. Yeah, me too. Um, the second one is they say, do not use wrist rests on your keyboards. Oh, okay, just your keyboards, not your mouse? Uh, I don't know about that one. Because I use one on the mouse and it helps my wrist so much. Okay, because they said that that puts a lot more pressure on your carpal tunnel if you have uh, those. You you might feel more comfortable, but you're dealing more damage to yourself over time. Wow. Uh, Again, because my setup... It's a dot. It's a what? It's a dot. It's a do- oh yeah, it's a damage. <laughs> wrist time. supports are dots. Yes, yeah. more dots. Yeah, more see, dots, I, I dots. don't use a uh, wrist support for my mouse. I find it gets in the way. Yeah. Um, but I do use for my left hand for my keyboard hand. I do find myself using that bottom of the keyboard a bit to to balance out. Yeah. So apparently, cut that out. Just, okay. Yeah. Just bad Sam. Yeah, bad Sam. Everything that you do that makes you comfortable, stop it. Mm. As uh, my entire playing group says, "Damn it, Sam." Damn it, Sam. And thing number three is that you should be controlling your mouse from your elbow, not with your wrist. What? Oh, that's yes. a good one. You cause... should be. Yeah, everyone in the, in the podcast studio is currently doing the motion <laughs> right now. Yeah, not with the wrist, with the whole with the whole elbow, forearm, uh, part of your body. Man, that's weird. Is the way it's to do like, it. It's like lift with your legs, not with your back. Yeah. No, you always yeah. lift with your back. That's where all the power is. <laughs> 
and hold your breath. And that's where all the awesome tendons, snappable tendons are. <laughs> Make sure to hold your breath as well whenever you're you're lifting things or exercising because well, under stress, the body produces all the oxygen it needs. Actually, if I could just interject right here, uh, mm-hmm. an advanced lifting technique used in Olympic and powerlifting is to hold your breath until the apex of the rep. So once you, you drop the weight and you breathe in, but as you're pushing out, you do not breathe out. You let it come to a locked out position and then you release your breath. And as you can tell, Colin is the only one of the three of us that goes to the gym. Yeah, so, okay, so Kevin's the svelte one. Uh, I know a little bit about that, snapping that back. Yeah, Colin ha- does show up with his wrestling belt, flexing, you know, doing his, uh, his WWE moves. And to put it well, I'm just pleasantly plump. Uh, That's well, just me. 365 deadlift your, your, people. Your makeup, though, is on point, and your hair is especially lustrous this afternoon. Thank you very much, Kevin. 365 deadlift, two, 225 bench. I'm not going to tell you my squat because it's terrible. Okay, well, moving on after getting that little bout of stats, I don't know <laughs> yeah. if that puts you in bronze or what, dude. That's that's diamond. No, yeah, no. okay, it's uh, silver. So for for you, so I, Sam, I don't know about you, I fail all three of these. Uh, Pretty these hard health and wellness yep. uh, recommendations for PC. Yep, Colin, you're gonna have to let me know how you do with uh, for fighting games and other console games. I'll do my best. Um, so back, shoulder, and neck stretches are key because it's harder than on PC to hold a controller in a position where you're fully supported. Because if you're holding it just in front of you or on your lap, uh, again, your back and your neck are still, and your shoulders are still under strain. They're still doing a lot of work. You don't yeah. have like uh, the armrest that you would in a, co- a typical PC setup. That's right. Um, I don't think I stretch specifically before and after gaming, which I probably should. And during. Mm, and during, but I don't, uh, these days I don't do too many sort of like six hour gaming marathons either. And I do stretch a lot at the gym. I don't know. Maybe I can kind of like halfway get away with it. Okay. I'll give you half a point for this one. Okay. Okay. Uh, so thing number two is to pay attention to rising shoulders. Uh, Dr. Dr. Lurkuderp, uh, has said that she's never met a player who didn't do this as the tension in the, like a tournament increases. Is it just, it always rises right up. And it's just being aware of it is the number one thing. Being aware that you do it, doing a mental check to be like, are my shoulders, you know, pinched up to my ears right now? Um, That's a big one. I can definitely attest to this. Um, uh, As I've told you before, like I used to do some uh, varsity fencing back in uh, university. And yeah, so the, the tension... You know, as the game progressed, you would your shoulder would go straight up, and it would be really painful at the end of the day, and it would really affect your play. Wow. Um, obviously, not as big an issue for uh, for playing on console because you're you know the position of your arm is not exactly integral to your defense. But I am going to have to be aware of that. I I don't know if I do it. I I really don't know. I'm going to have to. Yeah, make that a thing. Yeah, think so everybody listening now, just make sure you keep that in the back of your head. It's like, where are my shoulders right now? Am I relaxed? Or or do I look like, you know, a member of the Adams family or like Frank, nice. Frankenstein's See, monster? This is how much I don't play console anymore. I'm the type of person who gets kind of distracted and I actually will start moving my body when I'm trying to move in the game. Like I, instead oh, of just of moving people. the toggle or whatever, I will move my body. And it's just like it's probably end up being bad for me, but um, that's yeah. just kind of what I do. That's because I'm a console noob. I'm a console scrub. Nice. I don't play console. Well, if you play console, then you're the true scrub. So Obviously, feel, don't feel PC bad about best that. Race. Ugh. Uh, the other big one is that um, I don't know if this is going to apply to you because again, you are uh, super casual. But a lot of players will use uh, hand warmers in in console gaming to prepare and to warm up before uh, a bout or a tournament. Um, you know. 
That makes a lot of sense because when I go into Street Fighter, I have I learned the hard way not to jump into ranked. What I do is sometimes I'll go into um, practice mode, but more often than not, I'll play two or three casual sets. Mm-hmm. Um, and man, the difference from the beginning and the end is really clear. And some of that has got to be your the muscles in your hand warming up and responding better. Yeah, so you'll often see, like if you watch tournament streams, you'll often see like... Um, players have the, the little hand warmer pouches just sort of like scattered around because it's apparently a very common um, technique. Huh. The problem though is that heat should be used for your stiffness and your tightness in your muscles only. If you have swelling or inflammation or pain from anything else, you're actually making the problem worse. Mm. So uh, Dr. Uh, McGee recommends that you, if, you're gonna, if you have to use hand warmers, consider using ice first to reduce that kind of pain or that swelling, uh, then re- allow the, your your hands to return to room temperature, then you can use your warmers. I don't know if anybody anywhere is actually going to do that um, beyond like the most extreme of levels, but if you want to do it pr- the perfectly ergonomically, you know, health conscious way, that's the way you do it. Either don't use the, the warmers, you know, if it's not for, for basic tension or stiffness, yeah. or go through the three-step process. As you pointed out, I'm way too casual to be worrying about all that, but that that's a pretty interesting. Yeah. Um, like so I I'll, s- I'll give you one. I'll give you a solid point and a half. Then one point because you're not using hand warmers inappropriately. Well, and uh, half a point for the stretching. And half a point for the. I, stretching. Think, right. I think Kevin's just trying to find a nice way to fi- to call you a filthy casual. Uh, now, so you you made it fifty percent. So break. You 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 barely pass. Uh, it is so true, though. I really have to warm up that right hand um, to do inputs in Street Fighter. It's crazy how bad I am in that first that first ranked match. It's, totally, everything's off. It's kind of an odd phenomenon. Oh, me too. Because I'm doing inputs with my like my not my dominant hand, my left your hand. left hand. Yeah. So I kind of have to recalibrate my fingers oftentimes in within my first match and press the right buttons because I'm not. It's not warmed up. I'm not. Oh yeah. You know, oh yeah. I, and it, and with me, right? I have to use the left hand to do, use the stick. Yeah. And doing precise motor functions with the left hand is it just takes a second to tell your yeah, brain. Exactly. Yeah. So I mean, if anybody else wants there wants to check out these guides and see more tips, you can you can go check her out. Um, there were a lot of different stretching diagrams and things um, for your wrist and your back and your neck, and a lot of stretches that you could do from within a chair. Uh, which is, I think, really unique and valuable advice. So Man. Dr. Caitlin McGee, look her up. Guys, if you work in an office and you game and you're not like a fitness nut, this is super important. Mm-hmm. Um, moving on, though, uh, to Kevin's favorite subject, which is speed running. Uh, oh, yes. We talked about last cast, actually, Awesome Games Done Quick. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the only reason I'm bringing it up again is because it raised $2 million for charity, which is um, fine and dandy. Oh, yes. Uh, as we pointed out in our pre-podcast meeting, it's not really esports. But when I read that stat, my I had this funny thought where I was like, okay, what if we took the model of like, say, a once-a-year tournament that raised money for only for charities, not for profit, and we applied it to other esports? And as you, more than any of us, know, Kevin, at uh, Awesome Games Done Quick and maybe some like-minded tournaments, you as a player get to put money into pots that um, force players to make certain decisions mm-hmm. within the game or maybe certain item decisions, things like that. Yeah. And I thought, how funny would that be? Like, what if we applied that to, like, Street Fighter, right? That's not especially common uh, oh, in the okay. speedrunning community, but there, I've definitely seen things where that happens. So a lot of streamers will do that on their own time. When I read that, I was like, okay, that's awesome. Like, that made the speedrunning concept more interesting for me. Yeah. Like, what if we did the Street Fighter Five? Like, what if we had a tournament and it's like, okay, 
you, the voters, you know, have raised $500. Daigo will now be forced to use Fong, you know, or like infiltration in this match can only throw Hadokens, yeah. you know, something like that. Or, or donations of over a certain amount, you know, you get to make a request, right? It's like he has to, like if you're playing Tekken, it's like he has to put on the full like rubber ducky inner tube thing with the sure. shower. Or like in Heroes, you could do like an all Nova map. Where all you can play, all they can play oh, is Nova, no, which would be no. super annoying. Or there's like Nova. all stealthies, so all Zeratul, all Nova, just like sneaking around, sniping people. And then in Nova StarCraft, you can or, just or like the Valera coming out. The oh, yeah. dumbest builds ever, you know. Yep. You could only, you could just be only Lings. Could be like a 45 minute game, and you have like you're maxed out on Lings. <laughs> I'd, I'd love it. to see a charity tournament where the participants like the people paying money get to decide who the teams are so take your favorite players oh, and, and you want to put like an all-star team together but n- these players have never played together they may have completely different play styles and just throw them together into a tournament that would actually be sick yeah no i think there's a lot of different possibilities with this and as much as we were talking about before how some people are concerned that the focus on charity is what holds speedrunners back from like make it into like quote unquote the big times or whatever like esports status uh, I think that that's something that you know uh, popular esports not, since they have that kind of uh, capital and and that sort of um, you know fan base and awareness that's something they can do and it's something I'm sure that they they do with some regularity um, we've talked before about how it's kind of tricky for players to just make sure that they can pay their own salaries you know well that's the thing I mean yeah let it be known before this happens I would like Street Fighter 5 players to be able to live on what they're sponsored by yeah right. and so. also for players to actually get their, their money on time as opposed to you know Martin Shkreli situations where people get tied up Absolutely. and they say oh yeah we're going to pay you and it just never happens Absolutely. which is more common than you would think um, but at the same so time so I'm learning so the, I am learning yeah at the same time you know it does not hurt to even once a year throw in like okay here's the big you know, uh, StarCraft to um, Charity Invitational. Charity Ball. Charity Ball, Charity Gala. You know, and if you donate $500, uh, one player has to Mothership Rush, and the other one can only use DTs or Banelings only. And there's so many different things you could do with this model, because then again, you could raise money for, do you want to get coached or play with your favorite player? Or go on the bus with your favorite team, or like something like that where you can get people involved with the teams and the and the different games that they like and have again I love saying to humanize esports it's and true. to ha- like you're trying to push these people to have a and a connection to these players but it's hard when it's everything's electronic so I I don't know I love this I absolutely love the idea well I really hope that uh, all you listeners out there just made a connection with us because mm. Scrub League is out of time. Oh, my. Oh, <laughs> that, that was the end of my segue uh, on that one, guys. Um, I got to give a shout out to Outloud Post-Production, who did the recording, editing, and post-production for this podcast, and to Phantom and K, who made all the cool music you hear throughout it. Uh, for Kevin Hamilton and Samantha Eamon, I am Colin McNeil saying GG. This has been a Metro Podcast.